Podcastle, episode 374, for July 28th, 2015. Poet Scholars of the Necropolis, by M.K. Hutchins. Rated PG. Hello friends, welcome to Podcastle. I'm your co-editor and host, Graham Dunlop. Well, on today's show, Poetry. It can be such an individual thing. Whilst I hesitate to say I know what truly great poetry is, I think I know what bad poetry is, and I think I can safely say I've read a lot of bad poetry. If you've read The Book of Heroic Failures, very funny by the way, even though a little dated, you'll know it posits William McGonagall as the worst poet ever. According to Wikipedia, he won notoriety as an extremely bad poet who exhibited no recognition of, or concern for, his peers' opinions of his work. Well, how could I not then supply a sample? In 1883, he celebrated the official opening of University College Dundee with the poem The Inauguration of University College Dundee, which opened thus... Good people of Dundee, your voices raise, and to Miss Baxter give great praise. Rejoice and sing and dance with glee, because she has founded a college in Bonnie Dundee. Difficult to even make that one a scan. But good poetry, oh well, that's something quite different, something which transports you to a different place, makes you feel, wakes you up, spreads a shiver down your spine. A poem I've always loved is The Great Lover by Rupert Brooke, a poet during World War I. It gives me the shivers. It starts like this, and bear with me because it's a little long. I have been so great a lover, filled my days so proudly with the splendour of love's praise, the pain, the calm and the astonishment, desire illimitable, and still content, and all dear names men use to cheat despair, for the perplexed and viewless streams that bear our hearts at random down the dark of life. Now, ere the unthinking silence on that strife steals down, I would cheat drowsy death so far. My night shall be remembered for a star that outshone all the suns of all men's day. Shall I not crown them with immortal praise whom I have loved, who have given me, dared with me, high secrets, and in darkness knelt to see the inenerable godhead of delight? Love is a flame. We have beaconed the world's night. A city, and we have built it, these and I, an emperor. We have taught the world to die. So for their sakes I loved, ere I go hence, and the high cause of love's magnificence, and to keep loyalties young, I'll write those names, golden forever, eagles, crying flames, and set them as a banner that men may know, to dare the generations, burn and blow out on the wind of time, shining and streaming. These I have loved. Which sounds very grand, but what he then lists are the most mundane of things. Clean plates, rain, the taste of food, friendship, flowers, bedsheets. One hundred things from the everyday in which one can find pleasure and beauty. Awesome. 
doubtless there are those of you with far greater experience of excellent poetry than I. I'm not very widely read, but I do love that poem, and it gives me such great happiness with more than the touch of melancholy. Go check it out. So, good poetry, bad poetry. This brings us to today's story. Podcastle is proud to present a Podcastle original, Poet Scholars of the Necropolis by M.K. Hutchins. M.K. Hutchins' YA fantasy novel Drift is both a junior library guild selection and a VOYA top shelf honoree. Her short fiction appears in IGMS and Daily Science Fiction. She studied archaeology at BYU, I think that's Brigham Young University, forgive me if I'm wrong, giving her the opportunity to compile ancient Maya genealogies, excavate in Belize, and work as a faunal analyst. She blogs at mkhutchins.com. Your narrator is Julia Rios. Julia is a writer, editor, podcaster, and narrator. Her previous podcast narrations include The Transfiguration of Maria Luisa Ortega by E. Lily Yu, Who in Mortal Chains by Claire Humphrey, Mermaid's Hook by Liz Argyle, and Haunts by Claire Humphrey. Her own story, Oracle Gretel, was featured in episode 261, narrated by Marguerite Kenner. To find out more about Julia and her work, visit juliarios.com or find her on Twitter at OMGJulia. Links are in the show notes. But now, ask yourself, what would you do for one you loved? They're gone, but if you could still honour them, well... What would you do? In the meantime, enjoy the story. Poet Scholars of the Necropolis by M.K. Hutchins The corpse arrived, wrapped and ready for drying atop the necropolis. Got a wet one, Onyo called from the entryway. Royska, the other poet scholar in residence, stared listlessly out the slit window in her room, watching the porters spiral down the hill road and into the adobe city below. She already knew whose corpse they'd delivered. She'd gotten a private note yesterday. Royska's door creaked open. Onyo frowned at her, his furry, white eyebrows pulling together into a concerned line. "'Aren't you coming?' Royska exhaled and walked through the brick corridors with him her head down, her throat too tight for words. The narrow windows only let in shafts of light, but her old eyes would have been poor even in full daylight. She trailed her fingers against the wall, letting the time-smoothed bricks lead her. For all her advanced warning, seeing the body still stabbed needles through her heart, one side of the wrapping was lumped where the corpse cradled a premature child. The porters had placed the body atop the necropolis's floating poem-enchanted board, useful for shifting bodies around. A death poem in the traditional red envelope lay across her chest. "'Do you want me to read it out?' Onyo asked. "'No.' She felt like a sandstorm had torn up her throat, but Royska managed to keep her hands still as she opened the envelope. Squinting hard... She read silently. The poem opened and closed in the traditional style. 
I go to paradise, holding my healthy child like my grandmother held me. That is paradise. Tears blurred Royska's eyes, turning the page into a wash of white and black. Clearly an amateur poem, Onyo said, looking over her shoulder. There's a bit of alliteration across the second line, but there's no depth, no clever assonance or figurative language, no allusions to other works to give it resonance. Royska's throat tightened. My granddaughter wrote this. Onyo peered at her, not understanding. Eula. She died in early labor yesterday. Reflected grief creased all the lines in his old face. He didn't bother with meaningless condolences. He laid a hand on her shoulder. Royska let it rest there, heavy and reassuring. She remembered the day of Eula's birth perfectly, holding the warm babe, watching her eyes flutter open even as the midwife closed Eula's mother's. Joy and sorrow had raged inside Royska. She could still hear the cheerfully unaware singing of her other children and smell the roasting fish and sweet potatoes. Eula had grown up with a cacophony of cousins. She loved children. She was eager to become a mother herself. I'm going to bless her poem. Onyo's hand stiffened. Concern bled over his features. Royska. Yes? Royska stood tall, chin jutted out. She clutched the precious poem to her chest as she'd once held the child who wrote it. He sighed. I know this is hard, but it's still our responsibility to judge her poem. You swore not to waste sacred water on poems that aren't beautiful, on poems that can't become mighty spells. Royska stared at the bulge cradled at her granddaughter's side. Eula knew Royska would read this. She'd used her poem to send her love. Like my grandmother held me. Hopefully, in paradise, Eula now had that chance. Hopefully she was playing with her infant, while here, her husband and cousins wailed their loss from the rooftops. This is the most beautiful poem I have ever read, she whispered. I'm blessing it. I don't care if it's useful for magic afterwards. Royska, Onyo pleaded. She faced him, voice adamant. Anyone can appreciate an excellent poem. It takes an especially skilled poet to appreciate a poorly written one. Lord Governor Alyokandro's aunt is coming soon, and she'd grab any excuse to report you to the guild. If she sees you've blessed that poem, she'll push charges of treasonous misuse. Treason is a capital offense. Treason or no, Royska didn't care. Her granddaughter's last words deserved the last blessing she could give. Then I'll make sure I hide it well. Royska helped Onyo navigate the enchanted board up the snaking stairs to the roof. They nestled Eula in the sand, next to another dozen drying bodies. A tightly woven mesh kept birds and bugs away. 
Filtered through the mesh, the afternoon sun gave everything a white glow. Royska liked to think that meant the inhabitants had reached paradise. Do you want me to come with you to do the blessing, or should I make supper? Onyo asked. Food. Her soul needed the comfort of a warm bowl. She couldn't find the words to thank Onyo, but after a decade of working together in the necropolis, she knew he'd see the gratitude in her face. Royska lit a torch and headed down, first on broad stairs, passing floor after floor of entombments. Her knees creaked as the stairs tightened into a spiral, plunging her into the roots of the hill. Shadows flickered around the curves. At last, she reached the alcove. She placed the torch in its sconce. The uneven light flickered over a broad shelf inlaid with obsidian. A niche held the gold vial. Royska spread Eula's poem reverently on the shelf. Eula had been so hale, so flush with life during Royska's visit not two weeks ago. She should have had the chance to hold her child in this world, with her husband and cousins around her. Royska couldn't give her that, but she could do this. She opened the gold vial. All the water to touch this kingdom came from mountain runoff. All the water except the guild's sacred spring, a place connected to paradise, a place known only to poet-makers. Royska was just a poet-scholar, entrusted with a necropolis and a vial of the scarce, sacred water. Maybe she was breaking that trust now, but she'd held the position of grandmother long before she'd been a scholar. She read Eula's poem aloud. The alcove echoed the words, reverberated the syllables through the bricks. While the air was still heavy with the spoken word, Royska sprinkled the paper with sacred water. The paper glowed, then turned a brilliant, uncanny red. Its mundanely dyed envelope seemed pale in comparison. The next time someone read these words aloud, the sacred waters would pull a piece of paradise, shaped by Eula's death poem, into this world. Likely the quality of the poem was too poor to be of any effect, but it was beautiful. Royska folded it back into the envelope, climbed the stairs with a torch, then wandered the entombments until she found the shelf holding Eula's mother. Royska tucked the poem under her mummified body. I didn't think you'd mind hiding this for me. Royska bit her lip. I... I suppose you already know about Eula. I hope you're holding her like you never could in life. Royska waited there a moment, as if her daughter could respond. Only silence and the dry must smell of the dead replied. Onyo had a vegetable stew waiting for her, warm, thick stuff that seeped into her marrow. He refilled her bowl after she'd emptied the first one. So, I've been rereading Motiono's Epic of the River War, and I do have to conclude that it's the most brilliant poem of all time. Onyo said it with a touch of mischief in his eyes. This was a decade-old debate they'd started on Royska's first day in the necropolis. She fell into the conversation easily. Even better than Pusarla's Odes to Paradise. <laughs>
Ah, that's not one poem, it's a dozen. While each ode can be enjoyed individually, there's added enjoyment in reading them together. I think this is a point in Prasarlo's favor. It's good in part and in whole. I cannot read the third portion of Epic by itself with any enjoyment. That's because what goes before is crucial, not merely tangentially connected. Even you will have to admit that Motiono was a master of illusions, carefully building and enhancing his story by drawing on his poetic forebearers. And what do illusions matter when he sacrifices rhythm to squeeze it in? None of his works benefit from being read aloud, especially epic. She'd uttered that argument a hundred times in a hundred different ways. She knew how Onya would counter, and mouthed along as he decried Prasarla's lyricism as less moving than Motiono's story. Which, of course, moved them into the nerve-ending debate of what made good poetry, form or content, aesthetic beauty or emotional resonance. In truth, Royska liked both poems, but she'd never admit it. She liked the familiar argument even more. It distracted her. It warmed her bones in a way that Stu couldn't. Halfway through a passionate argument about the nature of narrative, Onyo passed wind. He coughed politely. <clears throat> ah, apologies. I dearly wish there was a small child nearby. To blame it on. I'm old. My bowels are less trustworthy than they once were, and I'm always cold at night. And food burns back up my throat. They'd had this conversation a hundred times, too. Complaining about old age was almost as soothing as debating poetry. And my memory's not what it used to be. Royska shook her head. You already said that one. I did not. Perhaps your faulty memory is why you enjoy Motiono over Busarla. It's far easier to keep track of Motiono's broad strokes than it is Pusarla's intricate imagery. And so the debate began anew, as constant and refreshing as water from the mountains. Idrana, the Lord Governor's aunt, arrived the next morning. She banged on the necropolis door as if she'd been locked out of her own house. Hello! I won't be kept waiting! If Hedrana's shrill, sing-song voice couldn't wake the dead, nothing would. Royska was already awake, but she took her time shuffling down the hall, her hip aching as it did every morning. Onyo joined her from his room. Do we have to let her in? If we're nice, maybe she'll go away more quickly, Royska said. She's only here to flatter herself. Idrana was obsessed with proving that she was better than the rest of the nobility, because she not only had connections and a massive fortune, but also a refined appreciation for poetry. Unfortunately, that meant she insisted on touring the necropolis whenever she visited her nephew. Royska turned her face into a polite mask and opened the door. About time, Idrana blustered, sweeping inside. She seemed too young for this place, with only a few wisps of gray in her hair. If I held a post in a necropolis, I would not keep people waiting. 
I trust the two of you have been dutiful in my absence. As if this woman held any stewardship over them, Royce kabowed, back creaking. Of course. Edrana sniffed. Perhaps you did not know, but I have been attending the Guild Academy. Royska doubted there was anyone in the city who didn't know it. There were betting rings on whether she'd threatened or bribed her way in, but no conclusive answers yet. And I have just passed their tests. She rolled up her sleeve, displaying a tattoo of a stylized scroll, the insignia of the guild. It marked her as a novice poet-scholar. Royska rubbed her own tattoo under her sleeve. Royska had earned that, and certainly not with bribes or threats. Come, I wish to inspect all of the necropolis. After all, I am sure the guild will assign me here as soon as the post is available. Shall we start with the roof? Of course. Royska barely kept the word civil. She led, patience evaporating. How could Edrana speak of a post opening? her or Onyo's death, so casually. Ah! Edrana sighed melodramatically over the bodies drying in the sand. She laid her eyes on Eula. So fair falls the blossom of youth in bringing forth fruit. Royska gritted her teeth. She didn't care what connection this woman had. She had no right to vomit overwrought verses on her granddaughter. Onyo shot Royska a warning glance, then smiled and stepped next to Edrana. Truly, your metaphors are as clear and piercing as Goral's in his verses of adulation. Edrana flushed. You think so? Undoubtedly. Royska bit back a laugh. Goral had been a great poet, but nearly everyone agreed that verses, with its laughable mixed metaphors, was an unfortunate stain on his corpus of compositions. You are a poet of excellent taste, Edrana said, and swept back down the stairs. Royska flicked him a thankful glance. He beamed at her, face crinkling down all the familiar lines. After that, they wandered through the tombs. Blessed and used poems were, by tradition, painted on the walls in blue and green. Edrana paused often, leaning close with the torch and reciting them aloud. "'You have the voice of a soila,' Onyo said. Edrana nodded, satisfied with herself. Royska smiled and nudged Onyo with her elbow when Edrana wasn't watching. A soila had been known for her fear of reading publicly. She'd been born with a stutter. Her most poignant verses were about how poetry gave her an elegance her mouth would never know. After an hour or so, Edrana's throat tired, and she complained of a chill. She promised to return tomorrow. I hope she doesn't, Royska said, tossing another branch onto their clay hearth. The smoke curled out a series of slit windows into the evening sky. Onyo reclined in a chair, peeling sweet potatoes for their supper. You didn't have a good time? Edrana's a puffed-up little fox. Scratch her ears and she wags her tail. I wonder if she'll ever realize you're insulting her. Onyo smirked. 
If she's smart enough to figure it out, then she's earned her tattoo, and I won't have to mock her. Royska smiled at him. She'd first entered the Guild Academy some fifteen years ago when her husband died. She'd thought poetry could stitch up her torn soul, but she'd only felt loneliness until she met this man with sprawling white eyebrows. Conversations. Those had fed her, mind and marrow. How many conversations had she and old Onyo had? Thousands over the past decade? He knew how to soothe her heartaches, how to make her laugh. You're looking at me oddly, he said. That's just my roomy eyes. Or maybe you're just odd, Royska offered. She used a pair of sticks to pull a heated stone out of the fire and lower it into their clay cooking pot. You wound me. Half as much as Idrana's poetry? Onyo paused. Idrana's words are twice deadly. I suppose you're wounding my corpse, then. Don't you feel bad about desecrating the deceased? Not at all. Her limbs ached from walking, and her soul hung heavy with memories of Eula. But here, in this warm room, with her fellow poet-scholar, with her favorite conversationalist, she knew she'd survive. Do you want salted fish or beans in the stew? Ah, perhaps we should save the latter for Edrana's visit tomorrow. Beans and my bowels disagree with each other. We can blame the smell on her. That evening, Royska descended back to her daughter's entombment. She shifted the red envelope out from under the stiff, dried linens. I'm sorry to disturb you twice, Royska whispered. With her bad eyes and the bad light, she could almost pretend her daughter merely slept under a sheet. But Idrana's coming this way tomorrow. I need to hide the poem where we've already walked. Sleep well, dear heart. She trekked up and hid the envelope under her husband. Thank you for watching over this. I hope you're taking care of Eula and her little one. But of course you are. You always love children, too. Decades of memories swelled through her, stinging. Husband, parents, child, grandchild. Why was she still the living one in the city of the dead? Royska! Royska! I'm down here! She shuffled down the hall, past shelves and shelves of dried bodies. Onya was puffing like he'd been running. What's wrong? I thought you'd just gone to turn the wet ones, but then I couldn't find you and... He took her hand and squeezed it, grip surprisingly strong. I thought I'd lost you. Did he think she'd forgotten her way? or that she'd joined all her family that had gone on before. Royska didn't ask. She just squeezed his hand in turn, letting him blunt the pain of surviving so many now in paradise. Royska woke to someone pounding the door. She groaned and rolled off her thin pallet. No light yet shone from her thin window. She didn't care whose Aunt Idrana was. Waking an old woman before daybreak should be a capital crime. Shakily, she fumbled for her sandals, then lit a torch. 
Onyo shuffled into the hall from the opposite room. Tell me you're making all that noise as a joke in rather poor taste. No, Royska grumbled. The pounding continued, matching the headache in her temples. Sharp words ready on her tongue, she tossed the door open. A messenger in the colors of Lord Governor Alyocandro stood there. His Eminence, Lord Governor Alyocandro, requests a blessed poem of the dead. What's the crisis? Royska's heart turned over. Some Lord Governors were reckless, squandering poems on every little thing. But not Alyocandro. The messenger bowed. His wife is in labor, and she is dying. They had unused blessed poems that addressed drought, pestilence, and blight, but only one that spoke of a mother and a babe. Royska turned to fetch it. Onyo laid a hand on her shoulder. The puffed-up fox is here, and that, he refrained from saying poem in front of the messenger, won't work. I know. What did she care what report Adrana sent against her old bones? Her granddaughter hadn't held her child, but she'd want her words to ensure someone else did. Royska had to at least try the poem. Wait here, messenger. She headed down the hall. Onyo couldn't stop her now. The messenger would report that they had an appropriate poem, but withheld it. Onyo's soft sobs echoed down the bricks to her. The birthing room was beautiful, its smooth adobe adorned with finely woven rugs and wall hangings, but it stank of blood. Lord Governor Alyocandro's wife, Lilinia, lay pale and sweaty on the thick pallet, her arms limp. A half-dozen women crowded around her. Some dabbed her face with cool cloths. Some sat back in resignation. Adrana lounged on a cushion near the window. You were so slow in coming. I thought you'd fallen and broken a hip. I hope you have at least half my appreciation for poetry. I would not see a mother or child die. Adrana projected her words in a childish attempt at a true reciter's voice. Perhaps you should go, Royska said, throat tight. She'd expected trouble eventually. She hadn't expected it to be waiting for her. Adrana smiled something predatory in her eyes. I would not miss the opportunity to watch a poet-scholar perform. Royska's neck prickled. Edrana wasn't here to see Lilinia healed. She was here to see Royska fail and report her. A dismissal or execution would create an opening in the necropolis faster than old age. Royska exhaled, letting her joints settle in place. She'd made up her mind. Edrana's presence wouldn't change that. Her daughter had looked as listless as this woman before she passed. Eula probably looked the same, too. A paper rested on the nightstand next to Lilinia. Surely a hastily scrawled death poem just in case. Royska pulled Eula's poem from its envelope. The magnitude of its power would depend on her appreciation of the poem. Maybe these poor verses would only ease the woman's passing. She knew it wasn't beautifully written. But her heart still ached to read the words. 
Maybe what she'd told Onya was right. Anyone could appreciate a beautiful poem. A trained poet could appreciate it more. But she was a grandmother as well as a poet, and in that sense, these simple words rivaled Prasarla's for beauty in her heart. Royska read, I go to paradise, holding my healthy child, like my grandmother held me. That is paradise. Edrana spluttered, That is the worst poem I've ever heard. You think that's going to save Lilinia? The paper glowed, and the letters thirstily inhaled the supernatural red until the paper was white once more. Eula's dying words mixed with sacred water. That could allow paradise to touch earth. How well it reached depended on Royska's appreciation of the poem. The glow faded, leaving burnt red letters behind. Royska traced the words with her finger. Eula would have been a great mother. She should have had that chance. Royska tried to swallow the brick in her throat. She needed Onyo's heavy hand on her shoulder right now. A high-pitched wail cut across the room. Royska looked up. Lilinia's color had returned. She was laughing, crying as she held her wailing infant. Tiny, perfect nose. Tiny, splendid ears. Red, angry tongue. Alive and healthy. Eula hadn't lived such a scene, but her words had gifted it to someone else. Royska wasn't surprised when guards came for her a week later. She was only saddened that it broke up a rather lively Motiono and Persarla debate. Edrana had reported her to the guild. The guild requested Royska's testimony before they ruled. Testify she did. She admitted to blessing the poem under the scornful glares of the poet masters, but she continued, explaining that greatness in poetry was not an objective matter. A lover of beautiful sounds might find it in Prasarla's Odes to Paradise. A lover of layered stories might find it in Motiono's Epic of the River War. And a grandmother might find it in the simple verse of her grandchild. The poem had, after all, worked. It saved the life of Lord Governor Alyocandro's wife and infant daughter. Was not that the best proof of the poem? But, as she expected... The poet masters did not stop scowling. She'd blessed an inferior poem and had therefore abused her sworn duty. The sacred water, they said, was not to be gambled away on such whims. They named her a heretic, pronounced her guilty of treasonous misuse, and condemned her to a swift execution. The guild let Onyo visit her on the day she was to be executed. She ached, seeing his disheveled hair, his ill-kept clothes. I disappear for a few days, and you can't take care of yourself, old man, Royska asked. Onyo reached through the narrow window of her cell and clung to her hands. They can't do this. How are you going to stop them? Her heart burned, seeing him so. She thought this would be easier. She'd lived long. She'd outlived too many. And now Onyo, who was as old as her, would outlive someone he cherished again. 
His grip tightened as if his two frail hands could keep her rooted in this world. Royska, what am I to do without you? They may as well execute us both. Ah, so you've heard Etrana got herself assigned as my replacement? His face hardened. This isn't about her. Royska, I... Onyo's words faltered. I love you. She could see it in all the ancient lines of his face, in his furry white eyebrows drawn together. I wrote a death poem. I want you to have it. It was as close as she could get to I love you too. Poems! Uroiska, I don't want a poem! She gently disentangled her hands and fetched a folded paper from the corner of her cell. The guild had given her plenty of writing supplies. They hoped to get a good death poem from her, but she'd told them she refused. In truth, she was saving it for Onyo. She pressed the paper into those familiar, heavy hands. You said this wasn't about you. I ask you to honor that. I want you to bless it and use it. He obediently took it without looking at it. His soul needed comfort, just as hers had when they'd brought Eula's body. Do you know why Pusarla's work is best? she asked. She'd perfectly capture how horrible your hair is right now. And how is the image of horrible hair better than Motiono capturing perfect loyalty in Epic? Royska held his hands and let the old argument play out until the guards came and took her away. Onyo laid Royska's body on the necropolis roof next to Eula's in the sand. Every grain under his sandals seemed loud as a millstone. He was the only living person in the city of the dead. Idrana would arrive this evening. Part of him wanted to lie down next to Royska and never move again. But he had her poem, and he'd made a promise. He took a torch and descended to the alcove. He spread the poem across the shelf. There was no one here to report him to the guild, and Royska wanted him to use this. The poem opened and closed in the traditional style. I go to paradise. Bones that never chill, bowels that never betray me, free from the barks of a puffed-up fox, knowing you will have these comforts too. That is paradise. It was not elegant poetry. It was hastily written. There was no rhythm. But Onyo had no doubt that it was lovelier than anything either Motiono or Prusala had ever written. He blessed it with the sacred water, turning the paper supernaturally red. He spoke the words, the paper glowed, the red leaching into the letters before turning the color of burnt marrow. Onyo flexed his hand. Were his joints less stiff, or was that wishful thinking? Royska's last words deserved to have effect, meaning. Now he understood why she'd read her granddaughter's poem. He folded the paper and tucked it inside his shirt. Perhaps it would have been smarter to burn the spent poem, but he couldn't bring himself to do so. 
That evening, someone knocked. A youngish man, maybe only 60, stood behind the door. I'm afraid Adrana's changed her mind about accepting the post. One of her children invited her to live on their seaside estate. I'm on Yuso, her replacement. Onyo bit back a laugh. Reiska's poem had worked. Well, come in. I've some supper ready. I can show you the necropolis tomorrow. What kind of poetry do you like? I admit I'm partial to Motiono. I lived in his childhood home for some time and stumbled upon some early unknown works. I'd just finished transcribing those for the guild when they sent me here. Oh? I made two copies and brought one with me. Would you like to see? Of course. Supper was not the same. Pusarla was not mentioned, but there was new poetry and warm food. In the evening, when Onyo curled up on his pallet, his bones didn't chill. Warm from his ears to his toes, he slept better than he had in years. He dreamed of paradise. He dreamed of debating poetry with a roomy-eyed, white-haired woman. Welcome back. Turning straight to feedback, we'll look at what folks said about episode 364, Who Windowed Eyes, Her Chambered Heart, by Cat Rambo. It was read by the man with the voice, the ebullient Dave Robison. The forum folks pretty much gave this one a big old thumbs up. Spare Inch said, Ooh, Robocop versus Hell in a Weird West setting. Could anyone want more? Moon Goddess said, I have the same complaint about every Cat Rambo story. I need a million more stories set in this universe. She wasn't the only one to say something like that. You know, that may happen. Number five said, Now that was really fun. Great story, great narration. And of course, the tributes to the TV show Wild Wild West were much appreciated. I wish that show was still being shown somewhere. I'm sure it is. Just have to find it, right? And while Frog and Lotus liked the story, they also had this to say. Many questions in my mind as I reflect back on the story. The one part I did not fancy completely was the ending. It seemed forced, as Elspeth conveniently saves Artemis by outwitting the house and the clockwork hummingbirds choosing to help him. Well, you too can comment on our stories. Drop by the forums at forum.escapeartists.net go through a quick registration process and come and join our vibrant and friendly community. The one thing we strive for there is respect for other forumites, for the narrators and for the authors. We welcome all feedback. Just please couch it in a friendly and constructive fashion. I'll grant you that can be hard to do, but couldn't we all learn to offer feedback a little more kindly? Well, that was our show for this week. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, including our audio engineer Peter Wood and our forum community managers Talia and Ossicat, thanks for stopping by and sharing with us in listening to another story. We'll be back next week with another one. Until then, this is Graham Dunlop reminding you that anyone can appreciate an excellent poem. It takes an especially skilled poet to appreciate a poorly written one.
Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like, but don't change it or sell it. Theme music is by Shiva and Exile. Find out more about them at their website, shiva-in-exile.de. Plato said, Poets utter great and wise things, which they do not themselves understand.